0: The headlines tonight Sunk by Japs, says Prince of Wales Mongolian journalist forms Democratic Union bans communism And doom looms for video games Plus, coming up, a polar bear is elected to the Icelandic parliament Those are the headlines Now, let's bomb Japan
1: Bang, uncovering the unseen with unflinching truth. A Night to See, 1941. 1941, the Royal Navy's big
0: boys, HMS Prince of Wales and HMS Repulse, were sunk by a sneaky bunch of Japanese torpedo pilots off Malaya's east coast. The Royal Navy, boasting a history older than the Queen's underwear, saw its pride. The battlecruiser Repulse, one of the fastest capital ships during World War I, go down in the South China Sea. The Imperial Japanese Navy, now defunct, was responsible for this Pacific theatre catastrophe. Malaya, or Peninsular Malaysia, as it's known today, looks on in horror as its waters became a watery grave for these British behemoths. Locals described the scene as more devastating than a Ricky Gervais stand-up. 1989
2: 1989 and the Mongolian Democratic Union, led by journalist Tiz ahia Jin elbeg Elbeg-Dork-G, played a crucial role in ending communist rule in Mongolia. Their cries for change were heard, and Sakyagiyin, who later became president of Mongolia, oversaw sweeping reforms. The revolution, dubbed the Mongolian Revolution of 1990, was inspired by similar reforms in the Soviet Union, where President Gorbachev was trying to turn the country into a theme park. Despite some initial confusion, Mongolia transitioned to a multi-party system, and by 2017, Yagin had served his full term as president. And with that, the Mongolian people could finally say, Yak eti yak, don't talk back. Genghis Khan, just let me go. Baila died.
1: 1993.
0: In the year that could only be 1993, the world has been gripped by the video game phenomenon known as Doom. Across the nation, unsuspecting citizens have been lured into the dark and twisted corridors of a digital Hades. It features an armored space marine armoured to the teeth, engaged in a relentless fight against hordes of undead humans and demonic creatures, all rendered in what can only be described as terrifying three-dimensional graphics. Doom dubbed the father of all first-person shooters, has taken over living rooms and basements alike, with reports of gamers forsaking sunlight for the dim glow of their computer screens.
2: The game also boasts a feature called Multiplayer Mode, where through some technological witchcraft, individuals can connect and battle against one another from distant locations. This so-called social gaming has led to an epidemic of sleep-deprived teenagers and a spike in sales for caffeine-laden beverages. It's a brave new world indeed, where pixelated demons have pushed the boundaries of graphics processing units and perhaps the very fabric of society.
1: News Bang! Taking a flamethrower to the Forest of Lies.
0: Time for Shakanaka Giles to give us an in-depth look at the wondrous meteorological occurrences.
3: Starting with a splash of winter wonderland, it appears that the White Walkers from Winterfell are paying a visit. Expect snow flurries as white as the Starks' dire wolves. Shifting to the realm of House Targaryen, the weather's been gifted with a tempest of dragonfire, much like the fury of the Mother of Dragons. Best wear a weather-resistant cloak to ward off the brunt. Heading to the Dothraki Sea, the winds have picked up their drums and are pounding with a fury. Be careful not to fly away with your hair whipped into a frenzy. And that's it in a nutshell. Snowfall from the frozen north, dragonfire tempest in the south and Dothraki winds that'll blow you away. Winter has come, and that's all the weather. 18,
1: 1970. In 1970,
0: the world watched as Chinese anti-communist forces in the Thai village of Mae Salong battled local insurgents for five years. The outcome, as we all know now, heralded a new era for the Republic of China's armed forces as they finally quelled the rebellion. Brian Bastable is on the line now from Mae Salong with more on the fighting and its impact on the future of the region.
4: In the jungle we went, into the belly of the beast, to the war-torn highlands of Thailand, into a village that time forgot. This village, Sandikiri, is now the focus of the world's attention. For this is a place where people from the hill tribe and the Chinese have been fighting for their very lives. They say that if you go near the border, you can see the smoke of battle. But that is nothing compared to the carnage here now. There are bodies everywhere. There are dead pigs everywhere too. It seems that these villagers used to farm pigs. That was many years ago in another time. But now there is only the sound of war of men fighting for what they believe in. I spoke to one man who told me he had been fighting since the 70s. His face was lined with the passage of time, but his eyes were sharp as knives. His words echoed through the valley, filling me with dread. This is a war that will never end. I saw a small child picking her way through the ruins of a house. She wore no shoes and her dress was in tatters. But her eyes were full of joy as she scampered through the rubble. She didn't see the battle that raged around her. She saw only the chance to play. People here are fighting for their land, for their very lives. They will not give up without a fight. And as we speak, there are men gathering supplies for the next battle. This is a war that will never end. It is a war that will define this place for generations to come. I, Brian Bastable, I'm here to bring you the news from the front lines of this great battle. This is war. This is Thailand. This is Brian Bastable for Newsbang. 1989 In
1: 1989,
0: a revolutionary period ensued for the Mongolian people as they bid farewell to communism. The Democratic Union, led by journalist Tsakiyagin Elbegdorj, played an instrumental role in the nation's transition. The revolutionary impetus, inspired by the Soviet Union's economic reforms, ultimately led to the establishment of a multi-party system and significant political and economic changes in Mongolia. Now we join political editor Hardeman Pesto as he speaks to this remarkable journalist. Uh, not me, I mean Sakyagin Elbegdorj. So
5: Mr. Elbegdorj, what was it like leading the charge against communism in Mongolia? Um, It was
6: difficult. The, The communist regime had been in power for decades, and many people were afraid to speak out against it.
5: And how do you feel about being credited with ending communism in Mongolia?
6: I think it was a collective effort by many people, not just me.
5: But you were the leader of the Democratic Union coalition, so you must have played a key role. Yes, but we worked together as a team. But you were the one who implemented the political and economic reforms after the revolution.
6: Yes, but it was a collaborative effort. So you're not taking credit for it, then? Um, I'm just saying that it was a collective effort. Yeah, we all worked together to make things better for our country.
0: But, Mr Elbegdorj, surely you realise that without you, there would have been no revolution?
6: I think it was a collective effort, as I've said.
0: But you were the one who led the Democratic Union Coalition, which was instrumental in bringing about the revolution.
6: Yes, but it was a team effort.
0: Mr Elbegdorj, you're not listening to me. You were the one who led the charge against communism in Mongolia, You're the one who deserves the credit.
6: But it was a collective effort.
0: Pesto, put him out of his misery. Mr. L. Begdorch, the Democratic Union
5: Coalition is credited with ending communism in Mongolia. Can you elaborate on your role in that? It was a team effort. Can you give us some specific examples of how you personally
0: contributed to the revolution? It
5: was a collective effort.
0: Pesto, ask him how he feels about being called the father of modern Mongolia.
5: Mr. Elbegdorj, many people refer to you
0: as the father of modern Mongolia. How do you feel about that?
6: As I say, it was a collective effort.
0: Pesto, we're not getting anywhere here. You're not going to get a straight answer out of this man. Can you elaborate
5: on the economic reforms that were implemented after the revolution?
6: Economic reforms took a village. It was a real team effort.
0: Pesto, we're done here. Thank you, Mr. Elbegdorj. It was a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Elbegdorj. It was a pleasure too. Pesto, get me a cab and make sure he's not in it. 1911. The year 1911 saw significant accomplishments in the air, especially with the completion of the first transcontinental flight across the United States by pilot Calbraith Perry Rogers. This monumental achievement not only propelled him to fame, but also paved the way for future aerial advancements. However, fate had other plans for Rogers, as he tragically lost his life in a crash shortly after his groundbreaking flight. Today, Calbraith Perry Rogers stands as a symbol of early aviation's potential and untamed perils. Joining us now from our New York bureau is Melody Wintergreen on this remarkable feat and its eventual heartbreaking end.
7: Into the vortex of yesteryear, we plunge, an enclave where the whirring, humming wings of American aviation pioneer Calbraith Perry Rogers soared and sang and echoed like the clashing of steel on stone. The year is an enigma unraveling itself in the very threads of time, 1911. Rogers, a beacon of celestial curiosity, completed the first transcontinental flight across the United States. And like the giddy throb of anticipation that embroidered the palpitations of his adventurous heart, he thrust himself beyond the earthly confines of mediocrity and into the realm of history. But tragedy was just around the corner. Just a few months later, Rogers would die in a crash during a barnstorming exhibition in Pasadena, California. His death sent shockwaves across the country and left many wondering what the future held for aviation. Despite his untimely passing, Roger's legacy lives on, a man, a hero, a dreamer, and in the shimmering panorama of our collective memory, an indomitable spirit that refuses to fade into the abyss of oblivion. Welcome aboard this time capsule, a journey back to a time of uncharted audacity, where the sky was the limit and the horizon, the only frontier. This is Melody Wintergreen, reporting for Newsbang.
1: Newsbang. Exposing the naked truth with no embellishments or embroidery. 1993.
0: Now, Calamity Prendeville will take us back to 1993, where the groundbreaking video game Doom... Change the landscape of gaming.
8: Ah, strap in your virtual seatbelts, my digital daredevils, because we're time-travelling to an age where the flickering screens were ablaze with pixelated pandemonium. It's 1993, and a little game by the name of Doom has just burst onto the scene like a fireball from a rocket launcher. Forget your polite games of Pong, Tetris or Jet Set Willy. Doom was the leather jacket-wearing rebel of video games. Crafted deep in the heart of Britain's most secretive gaming laboratories, or so one might think, Doom became the trailblazing patriarch of first-person shooters.
9: Our protagonist is no ordinary chap. He's a space marine battling through hordes of undead humans and demons as casually as one would stroll through Hyde Park. If Hyde Park were on Mars, and overrun by creatures from the abyss, that is, with its groundbreaking 3D graphics, a revolutionary feat akin to switching from teletext to high definition overnight, Doom captured imaginations faster than you can say blast them. This technological marvel didn't just bring ghoulies to life. It birthed the era of multiplayer gaming. Imagine, before online socialising over a spot of digital fruitcake became the norm, intrepid players connected their computers with what can only be described as techno-wizardry, or telephone lines and modems for those grounded in reality.
8: Um, And those graphics processing units, GPUs to those in the tech trousers, were pushed to astonishing new limits. Before Doom, GPUs were mere calculators, after Doom, they became supercomputers capable of rendering realms previously confined to science fiction. So, tonight, as we honour this illustrious day when Doom unleashed its infernal symphony upon the world, let's tip our flat caps to a game that did more for computer generated carnage than any virtual chainsaw before it. Cheers to you, Doom!
1: News Bang! The benevolent dictator of factuality. sin7
0: The Brown Dog Affair, a political debacle concerning animal testing in Britain, began in 1903 and persisted until 1910. This tumultuous period was characterised by protests, police clashes, a libel trial and even the formation of a royal commission. Trafalgar Square played a key role as the focal point for much of the unrest vivisection involves surgical experimentation on living creatures, often utilising animals as subjects. Presently, reporter Smithsonia Moss is examining the current state of animal rights activism and may have information on how this historical event has impacted contemporary attitudes towards animal testing.
7: Now at this point of the evening we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us.
10: Wahoo, folks. Ya boy, Smithsonian Moss, smoking my way back to the 19th century, 1907 to be exact. I know what you're thinking. Why you doing it, homie? It's all about the brown dog affair, fam. You know, it was that British political stink bomb that got everybody whiffin' vivisection, those kinky experiments with critters. Yes, folks. It all went down in Trafalgar Square. I mean, they didn't even have any fun music like our hip jams. So, they gotta kick it with animal surgery drama, right? It was like the Mad Men era mixed with Game of Thrones and a little animal activism thrown in for the hell of it. Police were doing the old nightstick dance with protesters. It was the kind of vibe that makes the newsroom light up like the red light district. And the clincher? A libel courtroom showdown? It was like that classic episode of Scooby Doo when they bust the bad guys in the courtroom, but with 1907 flair. Oh, and let's not forget the royal commission, like royalty meddling in someone's bloody kitchen. That was like the Kardashians stepping into the kitchen on keep up with the Kardashians, or was it royalty with animal testing? Shit, it's all getting fuzzy. But hey, when the royal family's in town, who needs a clear head, right? So, what did I learn from this wacky-ass adventure in vivisection nostalgia, y'all? Well, first of all, let me borrow Drake's lyrics. Started from the lab, now we here. And second, remember, it's all fun and games until animal-on-human experiments come into the picture. Save the experiments for lab-grown beer, will you, science? Well, that's it, folks. Tune in next time for another fabulous installment of my time-travelin', snark-wielding cultural conquest. For now, it's Smithsonian Moss, riding this old journalism beast until we get to 2023. See ya would love to, but we don't do. See you later, do we? Peace out animals. Peace out.
1: Newsbang: A bulldozer of facts clearing the road to reality. Gobila cita 1508.
0: In 1508, a pivotal moment in European history unfolded as the Papal States, France, Aragon and the Holy Roman Empire allied in the League of Cambrai against Venice. This coalition would result in the War of the League of Cambrai between 1508 and 1516 with significant implications for Europe's geopolitical landscape. Joining us for further commentary is Pastor Kevin Monstrance from the Italian
9: Front. Good evening, ladies and gents. Well, the producer may have just handed me the reins, but I've actually been here since half past six, trying to get the froth off my cassock. You'd think the BBC could spring for some decent laundry powder, but oh no, it's the same watered-down gruel they've used since 1598. Mark my words, this cassock will dissolve to nothing by the final. Amen! Speaking of 1598, tonight's tale transports us to a slightly earlier time. The early 1500s, in fact. Ah, yes, the 16th century... When men were men, and hygiene was nothing more than a pipe dream. As you may recall, back then, much of present-day Italy was ruled by the Papal States, under the command of Il Papa himself. Well, in 1508, the Pope decided to form an alliance with France, Aragon, and the Holy Roman Empire to go up against the powerful Republic of Venice. Quite the formidable coalition... Why they chose to pick on Venice is anyone's guess. Perhaps the Venetians criticised the Pope's fancy hat. Who knows? Um... At any rate, war was declared and the Allied forces met the Venetian navy and army on land and sea. Some real skirmishes broke out with colourful names like the Battle of Agnadello and the Siege of Padua. Generals with monikers like Andrea Gritti and the Marcus of Mantua led their forces valiantly, if ineffectively. Plenty of colourful carnage, but no clear victor emerged over the next eight years. In the end, the Republic of Venice lost some territory, but retained its independence. The Papal States also gained some new lands from their alliance, which made the Pope, whose name was Julius Dingus Maximus, very happy indeed. As for the French, the Aragonese and the Holy Romans, they more or less broke even in the whole affair. Not the most decisive conflict, but an entertaining interlude for students of history nonetheless. Speaking of entertaining interludes, have you heard the one about the travelling Franciscan friar who stopped at a remote monastery while journeying to Rome? After he had eaten and rested, the humble friar was shown to his simple sleeping quarters by Brother Ambrosius, who said, I do hope the modest surroundings will suffice, brother. We aim to live very plain lives here. The friar replied, ''Do not worry, Brother Ambrosius. I am certain this cell will accommodate my needs.'' But no sooner had Ambrosius left than the friar began rearranging the furniture and decorations, grumbling all the while. When Brother Ambrosius returned later, he cried, ''Good heavens, brother, whatever are you doing?'' ''Just making a few small adjustments,'' replied the friar, not stopping his frenzied efforts. ''But, brother, I I don't understand. Did I not tell you we live plain, simple lives here?'' said the puzzled monk. Ah, you most certainly did, shouted the friar, but I am redecorating to better suit my self-importance. Well, it seems our time tonight has reached its end. I hope you've enjoyed this meandering stroll through history and humour. May you go in peace and please tip your friars.
0: So, let's have a quick look at tomorrow's headlines. The Times. Mexican drug war erupts. Calderon declares all-out hasta la vista on cartels. The Guardian. Bloody Magus Fontaine. British suffer boring defeat in Kimberley relief bid. The Utoxeter goblet. Invisible cows spotted in Morelia. And that's it for tonight's Newsbang. Join us tomorrow for more sensational nonsense from the world of history. Good night and don't forget to use a coaster.
1: Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.